0: Uh, good morning, church. Good to see all of you. Probably have a little hangover if you were at the celebration yesterday, which was a wonderful time. And as you know, this is uh, our 100th anniversary year. And we, for the theme of this entire year, if you haven't noticed, we've been kind of treating it like a reunion. So we've been inviting a lot of our former pastors, former worship leaders, uh, just to come and, and share uh, their their gifts and abilities again with us in our congregation. And today I have the privilege of being able to introduce our speaker, Pastor Kevin Hayashita, who is a good friend and one who served on our staff, I believe in 1992, about 1996. So that was a long time ago, but it was a, a special time and a precious moment for both of us. And um, Kevin is the uh, lead pastor at, Mission, at Crosswood Community Church down in Mission Viejo. Uh, He has uh, a lovely wife, Teresa, who's with him. Actually, she's probably the better half of the couple. And they have three children now. Some of you actually met their son, Matthew, uh, who came up here a couple weeks ago to share about what's God doing in his life and uh, where he's going to go into the mission field. So without further ado, Pastor Kevin is going to help us in our current series called Better Together, and he's going to talk about the importance of prayer.
1: Thank you, Pastor calvin i'll say a few more words about myself in just a moment, but if you are new here, if this is the first time either here or online, um, you should know that that I'm like the the b team so i I heard that Pastor Wayne is coming next week and he's like the the o g pastor so if if you don't like what happens today, then just remember next week you can come in here the A-Team. Or if you do like it, then you say, oh, just imagine how good it's going to be next week. Um, but I am so glad. Thank you for inviting me and my family. Um, and I'd like to thank the church as well that you guys took a chance on me and my family. Uh, we actually came uh, in 1994 and... I was, uh, when when you first hired me before I came up, I was like 29 years old, so you took a chance I mean, with no experience whatsoever. And the, the the season that my family had here was just wonderful. And we have so many fond memories of that. Um, one, one memory, this doesn't have anything to do with my sermon, but just a, a fond memory that I have. So before we came up, that this was the day days before like the internet and Zillow and Google maps and stuff that uh, we, our son was less than a year old. So I had to come up to find a place to, to live and Teresa was staying back. So she she trusted me to do that. And I came up and looked around. I had a friend who was up here at the time and we drove around. We ended up in, in Richmond um, And uh, I found a a house to rent. And then uh, so as we were driving up, moving up, Teresa had not seen anything, just trusted me. And as we were coming up, coming up into the the housing tract right at the bottom um, off of uh, San Pablo Dam, there was this super old house that looked like the haunted mansion. And I drove up into the driveway and I said, "Well, honey, this is it." And you know, it's like got cobwebs and broken windows and everything. And then my wife is just like so encouraging. I I could see it in her eyes that she was completely disappointed. She's like, "Oh, this is great!" And then I just had to burst out laughing. Like, no, I would not do this to you. And we drove up and ended up in our place. But but it was it was such a, a good time, so so formative for us in in ministry and in life and uh, relationships. So once again I want to thank Christian Layman Church for being a, a big part of of our story. So let me ask you a question just to start off that what would you do if you could do something and you had no chance of failing? You knew that whatever you tried to do that that you would succeed. I'm just thinking your mind for a while what what would it be? I mean, maybe it's something like uh i don't know go skydiving or ask uh, ask someone on a date or change jobs or something if you knew that you had no chance of of failing, what would it be now I can ask you that question you you can think of something, but in the back of your mind you'd say, well, that would be nice, but It's not true. I mean, I do have a chance of failing. I mean, I could go skydiving and the parachute doesn't open, or I could ask the girl on the date and she might say no, or I could change my career and it could just be a bust. It might not work out well. So there is a chance of failing. I mean, that is not really reality. Uh, But let me ask you kind of the same question in a different way What would you do if you knew that God was? totally on your side, that God was good, and he was for you, and that he heard the cries of your heart, and he heard the prayers that you prayed, and he was listening, and he was going to respond. I mean, what what would you do then? What would you do then? I mean, it's not an academic question, because it it is the truth. It is the truth that God loves you, and God is for you, and that no irredeemable harm will ever come to anyone who fully trusts in the Lord. So that part is true, and if we think of it that way, might it change the way that we live? Uh, might it change the way that we pray our prayers? And just remember, it it is true, and we'll take a if you look at uh, look at some scriptures that that talk about this, before I came up, knowing that this was the hundredth anniversary, and I had known a, a bit about the history of CLC before because I had been here, but I, I went to the website and I was poking around, and um, I found part of it that talked about the origins. And if you were here yesterday at the hundredth, you heard some of that as well. But I pulled. Some of this off of the website and, and from the website, it said Christian layman church came to exist because of the spiritual dissatisfaction of seven Issei Christians in 1922. A group of Issei Christians withdrew from a local church in Berkeley, California, because they felt its teachings were too liberal and they began having their own meetings in private homes despite criticism from others. These seven individuals were committed to submitting their personal lives and the life of their group to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They were committed to being led by lay leaders and to be, uh, to be independent from any church denomination. So a 100 years ago, there was a small group of people who said, um, what, what would we do if we knew God was totally behind us? And they took a, they took a step of faith. And I'm sure there was a lot of difficulties and challenges through the through because of that, and here we are a hundred years later, because someone did that. they believed God was on their side and that he heard their prayers and hey let's just let's just trust and see what God might do. Some of you know that after we left Christian Laman church, we moved back to where I grew up down in Southern California, and we started a church, uh, Crossroads Community Church. And part of the reason why was also because we were thinking, you know what, I don't want to wake up in my bed like 15 years later and say, you know what, we should have taken the step of faith. What might have happened if we took that step of faith I mean God might have responded and 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 just have a bunch of regrets. I didn't want to do that and and you know there is some fear and there is some trepidation with all of that. But really the the vision of what God might do is so much greater than any fear. Yes, I mean maybe and I don't think you really fail in God's economy, but maybe it wouldn't turn out exactly the way that we would like <clears throat> but what might happen if we do take that step of, of faith and part of it and part of the reason that we did was based on the the vision of of the church and I know you guys are going through Acts chapter two part by part which casts out lays out the, the vision of the early church and what they were, and uh, what we want to become. And uh, let me read the the passage that was given to me, and this is from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. There we go. Uh, They, and this is the early church, they devoted themselves to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So the early church did a lot of things, but one of the things they did was they devoted themselves to prayer. And right in the next verse, and we know that that is connected here, that as they were devoted to prayer, that they were in awe. People were in awe because there were some miraculous things that were happening that we will see as we as you go through acts that the church just exploded and thousands upon thousands of people came to Christ and it changed really the 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 nature and the history of the world we cannot even conceive of our current world without the influence of the early church uh, based on Jesus Christ, and I want to use this this passage as a, a springboard. I was given a little latitude by Pastor Calvin here. He said just to, to talk about prayer but but if if I wanted to use another passage to uh, kind of expound on this, and that 's what I want to do and I will look at a short passage in from from the Book of James that is going to recount or look back to an Old Testament account that happened in Kings. And uh, to set up the the James passage here, that, that James, a lot of scholars feel like James was the first book that was written in the New Testament. So he is addressing the early church who is going through very difficult times, going through persecution, and he is kind of giving them some some guidelines of establishing the community as well as some practices there, and he 's going to talk about putting faith into action in the book of james he 's talking about like real faith is not just head knowledge but actually taking steps of faith um, and then he comes to the end and he's going to close with a some instruction on prayer. And he he uses the example of an Old Testament um, prophet, Elijah, who prayed and then God miraculously intervened and he answered and the His first audience would be very familiar with this, so he doesn 't give much background but i 'd like to give you a little bit more background. So Elijah was a prophet, and prophets were appointed by God, so when the people are being disobedient, or there 's a, a need for instruction or correction, or the people need to repent that God will appoint someone who is like a spokesman, and then he will come and 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 give some some challenging words because God cares for his people so much that they need to turn from their sins. And his highest priority is that, that we would be rightly related to God. So that's the context here. And we can look at um, 1 Kings chapter 16, which we'll, we'll give some context here. And let me read that to you. Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve um, Baal and worship him. So we see here that one of the kings of God's people is just totally going astray. In fact, uh, they said that there's probably child sacrifice and idolatry just so far away from God's desire for his people. And we see that in verse 32, he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. So he's just so the author is telling us that the state, the spiritual state of the nation is terrible, as bad as it's been, that the leader, the king, is actually leading all the people astray, leading them away from the worship of the one true God, leading them from life to death, leading them from a relationship with God to alienation from God. And this is just grieving God's heart. So he has to send someone who will uh, speak to the people and do something. So the people were just becoming accustomed to this evil. And sometimes when I read through the Old Testament and see... uh, the situations where god has to send a prophet i mean a lot of times it doesn't seem too different than what is going on today that god's heart must must be grieved i mean maybe god is going to intervene maybe he's going to send a prophet or maybe he wants to use you and me to speak truth and minister love and grace to a a lost and dying world now here's elijah he doesn't know what to do he's been trying to speak and reason, and yet it is going nowhere. So he's kind of coming to the, the end of his rope. Like, what, what could I do? Is there anything else that I could do that might possibly turn the king and the people away from their idolatry and turn um, them back to God? Just, just reasoning with them and talking with them isn't doing it, so there has to be something more. And sometimes, and maybe you know this, that when things get really difficult, when you undergo trials, when things don't go the way that you want, that that is the time that you come to the end of your rope and that you feel like, you know, now I've tried everything else on my own strength, and now I really got to turn to God. I really need to pray uh, those heartfelt prayers, I mean, I wish it wasn 't that way. I wish you know i 'd just be be with God all the time, but I know sometimes he uses difficulties, sometimes he uses challenges to kind of shake me up or probably you know shake you up so that I realize i can 't do it on my own. I need some help, and I turn to god and this is this is what Elijah is thinking, and he 's going to pray some prayers here, and um it 's kind of Let me ask you a question as we go into this passage that um, we all have a decision, almost like a perspective that we have to choose in how we are going to relate to God. And here's the question. Will I trust God to do great things in my life? Will I trust God to do great things in my life? Will I, like predicate my future with the not just head knowledge but like heart knowledge that God is good God loves me God loves you and God can actually intervene he can hear our prayers and miraculously step in and do something how am i going to live am i going to live as if you know functionally there is no god there's no supernatural there's no there's no miracles there are no answered prayers. Am I going to live like that, or am I going to live with the the belief and the faith that God is good and that He loves me and He loves you, and He might, out of His goodness and mercy, He might just intervene and do something wonderful. He might answer my prayers. He might give me direction. He might lead some people to faith—people I would have never imagined. Uh, he might, he might uh, bring some wonderful new facility for Christian layman church to meet. I mean, he might do, he could do any of those things. So how are you really going to relate to God just on your own with no supernatural or believe that God might really do that? So with that, that's the background for our passage here in James. And as we'll see here that Elijah believed that God could do something. He could do something miraculous, something that could never happen on his own power, something that could not be explained by any science book or anything else. And this is what it says in James 5.17. Elijah was a man just like us, just an ordinary person. Sometimes we look at the people in the Bible and think, you know what? They're so different, so otherworldly, so spiritual that I just... You know, I I can't relate to them. But James is making it very clear here. Elijah is just a regular person, just like you and just like me. He's got the same challenges, probably struggles with the same doubts. And this is how he responds to that situation in that time. It says he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. So he is praying that maybe maybe if god intervenes here and the people are brought to the end of their own resources and own strength that at that time maybe they will turn back to god maybe this will be the the wake up call and he says you know you know how do how would i i mean none of us can control the weather how would we ever arrange for anything like that but but elijah maybe he's thinking this god created everything in the world he created our the the universe he holds everything in the palm of his hand he could i mean if he did all of this he can work the weather patterns he can arrange a drought he could move the clouds um he could do that maybe he would do that maybe if i ask him for miraculous things for the right reasons that he, he might respond he might do something and people would turn to him. And he's, he's so concerned about the people and he's probably concerned about the generations that would follow afterwards. He wanted them to be rightly related to God as well, that he's gonna ask for this, this miracle. Elijah says, I believe that God can do the supernatural. If I make this request, if it's in his will, he might respond. And he prays and we see here, God answers his prayer. It doesn't rain. No rain for three and a half years. And this is a gift. So, so even the difficult seasons that we have in life may be a gift from the hand of a merciful God. And that's what it is. I mean, I'm sure in that moment that people were saying, where's God? There's no rain. There's no crops. We're, we, are, we, we are dying of famine. And yet it really was an answer to prayer. It was an act of God's mercy and grace that he would bring these difficult times. Because their spiritual life was even more important than their physical life. So God answers that prayer. The next verse, it says, again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop. He says, okay, you intervened here, that's enough. And now will you intervene again and now it's time for the rain? And this was such a miracle. This marked the people of God that they remembered it and they passed it on from generation to generation to generation so that that James would know this and that we would know this as well. I mean kind of what James is saying at the end of his book here is that He's like, don't ever underestimate the power of God. Don't ever underestimate it. There can be something that you think there is no way that this will ever happen. It would take a miracle. And yet he closes with that to this persecuted, small little group of early Christians. Don't ever underestimate the power of God. James says, I've talked to you about, uh, in his book, I've talked to you about character and suffering and your words and your money and discipline and everything. And he just says at the end, like, you know, pray and don't ever underestimate the power of God. And God can do supernatural things. And this really is the foundation of our faith, that God can intervene and he can do miraculous things. I mean, from the first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, that God creates the heavens and the earth, ex nihilo, out of nothing. There was nothing, and he created everything. He can can make it rain for 40 days and 40 nights. He appears in burning bushes. He parts the seas. He brings manna from heaven. He has a star that's going to lead some wise men to the birth of Jesus Christ, who heals the sick who produces food, who gives sight to the blind, who raises the dead, who is crucified and then shows his power over sin and death by raising over the dead. This is the foundation of our faith that God can intervene, that he can do whatever he wants, and sometimes he just does miraculous things. He starts the early church which is filled with signs and wonders, and the church just explodes in the midst of complete opposition. If you were going to bet, what are the odds of this little group of people surviving, uh, I mean, surviving 10 years, 100 years, let alone 2,000 years, you'd have given it like a million to one shot. And yet here we are today. God can do whatever he wants. God could take that group of seven Isays in the midst of persecution, in the midst of uh, getting ripped from their homes and going into camps, and touch hundreds, maybe thousands of people over the course of a century so that we would be here, that many people would be eternally impacted by that. And now I'm just going to share a few personal things as as I'm I'm wrapping up here. And let me share about kind of how how I've experienced God doing this in my my own life. I have a, a picture here. If we can show the slide, so this is a picture I had on my screensaver on on my computer for a few years. And this picture I took in the Philippines. And uh, I I was on a a missions trip, and we had a missionary in the Philippines. And if you've been on some uh, missions trips before, a lot of times the way that it goes is you'll be really busy and uh, doing ministry and teaching. And, you know, we visited jails and help people and all that stuff. And then you have like a a day that it's almost like a vacation rest day. So um, they took us out to this place that uh, it's like— this, this super shallow sandbar that goes out for almost like a mile. So you can rent a boat and you can go out there and you can put like like beach chairs in the water and just be sitting there because it's so shallow. And um, I went out there and I was with um, some other missionaries and some others uh, and our own missionary And they had brought like a a lunch that they had packed. So we're having this picnic out there. And I just looked out and I said, wow, this is so awesome. This is so beautiful. And at that moment, I said, you know what? God has been so good to me that years ago when I put my faith in Christ, I had no idea what would happen? And here I am having the opportunity to do ministry around the world in this beautiful place and have a lunch on the beach. I mean, it was just such a blessing to me. And I remembered back to the time that I feel like was one of the defi- maybe the defining moment in my life. And I I grew up in church. Um, my parents went to church, so I guess I was like at church nine months before I was born, like all the time. And we had to go to church all the time. And when I um, left to college, I started thinking, I've been to church my whole life, and maybe a lot of college students have this as well. It's there, There's like this deconstruction time, and you have to figure out, is this really my own faith? Do I believe this because it's true, or do I believe it just because this is the only thing I've ever known and the only thing i've ever told so when i went to ucla i felt like i had to i had to figure that out so i said you know what i'm going to do i'm just going to do like this experiment and live life as if god doesn't exist so i'm not going to pray i'm not going to read the bible i'm not going to go to church i'm not going to go to fellowship i'm not going to do any of those things and i want to see is my life going to be any different because if it's the same i mean what's what's the point of it all? So I just stopped all that stuff. And I went on week after week. And probably after a couple months, uh, I went up to my dorm room. And it was like kind of the middle of the day, kind of odd time. I was really tired. So I I went to just like take a nap. And I, I fell asleep. And then I woke up And I was like paralyzed, and I and I couldn't I couldn't move, and I was trying to move, and I just couldn't move. And there was light shining into my eyes, and I said, you know, like, what is this? And then I heard um, these these words, and they're kind of like they're words from a song that's adapted from Romans, but the words I heard was, Jesus, I know that I would surely fall away if not for grace by which I stand. And I felt as if the Lord was speaking to me at that time, telling me, Kevin, if not for my grace, you wouldn't be able to stand. You would not be able to take another breath at all. And I felt like that was the Lord. And I don't have these types of experiences. I mean, that's just not me. But this happened, and I felt like it was the Lord intervening at that time, telling me, I am real, and I am present, and without me, you are nothing. And then I kind of like broke out of this paralyzed trance thing. And then I said, I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I will do it. And, you know, I've had my ups and downs since then. And when I was at the beach here, I, I, I remembered that time that I, I said that to the Lord. And then here I was years later, just full of blessings from the Lord. And I could, I could name 10,000 other blessings about people and family and experiences. But at that moment, that's, that's what I remember. And I just said, you know, thank you, Lord. God intervened at that time. And he's always been faithful to me. Um, through all that. And I want to tell you that there, there is like. There's a huge difference. Between. Like. Uh, saying you believe a theological truth. And actually. Living it. Taking a step by faith. It's like. I can say I believe. God's always going to provide for me. But. Do I. Uh, am I a faithful steward of my tithes and offerings? Because if I'm not. I mean, there's a part of me that doesn't really believe it, right? I believe God can provide for me, but, you know, I got to take care of myself, right? So there's a difference between, you know, like a theological assent to some truth and actually living that truth out. It's kind of a funny story about uh, um, Charles Blondin, who was the first person to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. So in 1859 he walked across this tightrope and he was he was like the the master tightrope walker. So he did it and then he actually did it blindfolded and he did it in a sack and he did it with wheelbarrow and he did it on stilts and he would get these large crowds of people coming to to see him. So he, then then and he was like this big showman, self-promoter guy, and he told the big crowds, it's like, who thinks I can walk over Niagara Falls? And they're like, we do, we do. You can do it. And then he says, who thinks I can do it, you know, blindfolded? Yeah, you could do it. Who thinks you could? I can do this with a wheelbarrow? Yeah. Who thinks I can do it on seals? Yeah. He says, who thinks I can do this with a man on my back? And they go, yeah. And then he says, who wants to be that man? And, you know, then it's like silence. And then one man, actually his manager did it. He said, okay, uh, I I'll do it. And then Charles Bond took him across and back. And the question is, is, is who really believed that he could do it? All the crowds of people. I mean, there was like a, you know, probably a mental belief. Yeah, he could do it, but who's the one who really, who really believed it. It was his manager. And in the same way, we can say we believe a lot of things. We can say, oh, yeah, I believe that God can do supernatural things. I believe that God can answer prayer. But that's actually different than actually living it out and doing it. So we don't want to just, you know, in our heads think that, but actually live that out. Just a couple more things, and I'm going to close here, and this should be a little bit brief. But I I wanted to tell you, too, about our... Our church and how, in a corporate sense, I was talking about how does how does God intervene miraculously and how you get to know it, you know, individually, but also as as when we started our church back in 1998, um, how did we come to understand that God can intervene miraculously as well? So when we started our church, you know, I had. I had two other friends who were starting churches right at the same time, and they got all these resources. Like there were churches that were backing them up, so they got all all this money and finances. And um, we didn't get that. So, So I was a little bit jealous, but, you know, it is the way that it is. So we put out a prayer list of all the different things that we needed to get the church started. So, you know, it's like Bibles and pens and things for the kids and blah, blah, blah. And we had this prayer list. And we would pray for the stuff there. And one of the things that we prayed for as we were, so we met in a high school gym. And one of the things that we needed to do was have like a stage kind of like this so that we could be elevated for the worship service. So that was one of the things that we were praying for as well. And um, we prayed and we saw a lot of the prayers, prayers being answered and we were getting close to the time that we were going to start our um, our services. So uh, we had an agreement with the high school that was renting the the facility to us. And um, the guy I was working with asked if I would like to rent a uh, storage container, one of the kind of like those shipping containers that they, they had in their back lot. So, um, so it was to raise a little bit of money for the school, but it was also to help help uh whoever was there so i said oh sure because it'll be really helpful if we don't have to cart stuff in every every week and then we go and uh, i get the key and and i was i was by myself just to check it out before we were before uh, we were going to get our services started and there was a lock on the container and i open up the uh the container and i look inside and it's you know, it's pretty long. And and in the back, I see like something back there. And I walk back there and there's one thing there and it's this stage that's in the back of the container. And I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. You answered that prayer. And it was just such a blessing. And then at the same time, I had another friend who had planted a church a while ago. And then he had told me, that he had some stuff maybe that I could use because they were going to move into a permanent place. So he asked me, he, he said, um, do you do I need a dolly? And I said, uh, and he was trying to explain it to me, and I didn't really. He said, well, you're just going to kind of have to see it. So I um, said, sure, uh, I'll take whatever we can get. So I got a truck. I drove down to his house in Torrance, and I went to his his, his uh his backyard and he had the this dolly there and I put it in my truck and I came back and when I looked at the dolly I thought you know what I think that this might um this might fit the stage exactly as it is and maybe you could show the next picture too so I we get it and then um I I bring it back and that was the dolly and so it's like totally obscure right so then, I get the uh, I get the pieces of the stage, and I thought maybe maybe they'll fit. And we put on the pieces of the stage onto the dolly, and they fit exactly on there, as if they were made from each other, but they came from completely different places. And the way that this uh, our setup was was the storage container was in the back, and then there's a you can see there's some double doors way in the back, and that's the way that we would bring the the dolly. Uh, and all our equipment into the gym, but the the p- problem was is i don 't know if you could see it, but there 's this metal pole that goes right through the middle, so it makes it the size of a single door so when we we got it and we put the piece of the stage on, and as we were coming closer, i thought i don 't think it 's going to fit I think it 's a little bit too wide, and then it 's going to be useless and as we push the pushed the uh dolly there, you know we kind of do it slowly. And it clears with about maybe a quarter of an inch on on either side. And at that moment, I actually cried. I, I wept because I felt like, you know what? God answered our prayers and he intervened. People who saw this, were they would have been 100% sure that, oh, we designed everything for this. Like we knew how wide the doorway was and we knew how big the stage was going to be and what kind of dolly we did. But they came from completely different places and God answered that prayer. And I was just so overwhelmed. And at that moment, I said, you know what? I think we're going to be okay. I think God is here. And and looking back on it, and I told you that we didn't get much resources when we got started. You know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Because what that did was that made us pray. That made us depend on God. And we saw these answers to prayer that we would have never seen if we didn't have to pray those prayers. If someone just gave us all this stuff. If someone makes it completely easy for you then it's so easy to take it for granted. But when you have to get down on your knees and pray earnestly and see God come through, I mean, that's really what builds your faith. So I wouldn't have it any other way. So in your, I know you guys are gonna go through a a season here where you're gonna be looking around too. So I just encourage you to pray those types of prayers. Okay, I'm going a little bit over time, but I'm gonna end, this is the last thing. I asked I ask, uh Calvin Pastor Calvin how long do I have to speak he says oh you can speak as long as you want except to end by uh 11:35 so sorry <laughs> so this is it <laughs> um so so uh yesterday I was at the 100th and in fact uh Monty and Leslie Kong were super gracious to to host us and they were ordering dinner and then Monty asked me uh, he's like are how hungry are you and I'm like I'm, I'm pretty hungry. And then he asked me, like, how many tacos did you eat? Because they had a taco truck and they had a boba thing there. And then um, I said, well, I, I didn't really eat any tacos. I mean, actually, I had one little bite of my wife's taco, but I didn't get any tacos. He goes, oh. He goes, how come you didn't get any tacos? So I said, well, let me tell you why I didn't get any tacos. So when we got there, and we got there pretty much on time, that – There was a few people in line for tacos, and they told us, oh, and there's boba in there. So I said, okay, I'm going to go get boba, and then I'll come back and get the tacos. So we get there, and then we see people that, that we know, and we start talking to them. And then we talk for like five minutes, and then I walk like 10 more feet. And then I see some other people, and they start talking to us. And then I walk 10 more feet. I mean, I finally make it to the boba thing. And then, you know, so we've been just talking to people like the whole time. And then before I know it, they say, uh, oh, it's time for the program to get started. I'm like, oh, I didn't even get tacos because of all the conversations I'm having. And I mean, that was fine. I wouldn't trade the tacos for the conversations. But when we got into the auditorium there, um, I was sitting on the upper right and then I turned around and I looked at all the people who were there and it kind of struck me. Like I had all these conversations um, so many that we didn't get our food. And I, I realized, you know what, there are, how many people were there? 300 something, 300 something people there. Like for whatever conversations I had, I mean, you multiply that by 300, right? Cause all that was going on all over there. And it kind of struck me about just this whole web of, of relationships that have gone on through the years i mean we're one small part of it but all you guys if you were there experienced the same thing and then um as i started to lead worship i turned around and um i was looking at everyone and you know i recognized a lot of people but a lot of people i didn't recognize as well and as we were singing um I I had this picture in my mind of like this this big tapestry and I was thinking about people and uh, it was I got really emotional about it and I was kind of was starting to cry and I was so this picture of the tapestry I was looking like really really close and you could see these individual threads in the tapestry which like represent uh, the people um and and the relationships and the prayers that have gone on and, uh, you know, I have this small part in that tapestry. And then as you move back and get the bigger picture, you realize there are like thousands of strings in this tapestry. I'm one small part of it. You're one small part of it. And this tapestry is all these interconnected relationships and prayers and things that God has done that are all combined. And we only see this this really small part of it, but it's so much Bigger than us, and I was thinking too, that this tapestry of of CLC over this hundred years there's so much of it that I don 't know and I 'll never know, uh, and we'll never see the whole picture of it until we 're in eternity in heaven. then we 'll see it all, and we'll go, "Oh my gosh, can you imagine that? Can you see all these things? And I thought, you know what this this tapestry is still being built, it's still being woven, right? with all the relationships. And there was this foundation that was laid 100 years ago and things that happened 80 years ago and 60 years ago and 20 years ago and 10 years ago, things that we're not aware of. But we, are, we also want to continue to build on this tapestry, to invite other people in. There are other people who would be blessed by being part of this. And what I think God wants is this tapestry to be as big and as beautiful and as wonderful and as glorious as that we can imagine. And I hope that, that that our prayers would reflect that because I believe that those are the types of prayers that God wants to answer. And if we pray boldly and do that faithfully, that that God will do that. And in the end, we're going to just see this wonderful work of art that we were privileged and blessed to have some Little pardon, and all the glory will go to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, remember the hundred years of Christian layman church, um, it's just a testimony to your goodness and your faithfulness and the faithfulness of saints who have gone before us and a story that is still being written oh you are are so good to invite us into this and lord we pray with faith and humility that you might step in that you might help us out for this next chapter that it, that maybe in 10 years or 20 years or 100 years people would be able to look back at this moment and say wow God, you did. You did step in. Thank you for answering those prayers. And we look forward to that that day. Thank you for the rich history and legacy that you have have uh, left to us. And may we continue to walk uh, in, and pray in boldness and faith for uh, the good of, of the world and for us and to bless you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.